0: This morning, I would like to talk about the meaning of baptism as the scriptures talk about it. Um, This is a subject that has been on my mind for the last couple of weeks because of a a particular study I'm having with an individual um, and uh, the beliefs that we have that are in conflict with each other. We'll talk a little bit more about some of those beliefs um, as we continue on this morning. Um, but this is a subject that's been on my mind as I've thought about how do I, how I talk with this individual who, who believes that baptism has a very different role to serve than I believe that the Bible teaches. So I thought we might discuss this subject. I think it's been about six months or so since we've had a lesson on the subject of baptism. And every now and then I like to come back around to it. Uh, so I thought we'd do that this morning. And to begin, I'd like to ask you to join me in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, most of the scripture references on a subject like this are not going to catch you off guard. You're going to know uh, a lot of the verses that we're going to turn to. My, um, my bread and butter, my favorite kind of lesson to preach, is one where I find usually some kind of, of chapter in the Old Testament that I feel I haven't read about in a while, feel it might not be studied as often as, as others, and And study that text as a whole and then draw connections with it to very familiar New Testament passages. Those are my favorite kinds of lessons to preach, uh, to use the scriptures of old and, and illuminate not only them, but familiar New Testament passages that we know well and shine even more of the light of God's will on those passages. If all goes according to plan, that is. Um, but every now and then, it's it's good to take out a, a good old-fashioned topical lesson and look at a variety of verses that speak on that particular subject, um, and that's what we're going to do this morning, starting with Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. If you're familiar with this gospel, familiar with the end of it, Mark is recording after uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and as he is sending his apostles out into all of the world to teach the gospel message, as we've seen them do in our class in the book of acts this is as he is 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 initially commissioning them and here is what he tells them to teach in verse 15 he says go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation and in verse 16 he says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned So what that is there is just simply a statement about the need for people to accept Jesus for who he is and what he is. Namely, that he is king. Go out and proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is king. So he's sending out his apostles to proclaim to the world that he is the Christ, that he is God's son. Part of that message includes that he died on the cross as a sacrifice For the sins of all the world. And so people need to know that. And they need to recognize who Jesus is. And they need to become one of his followers. That's why Jesus says. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So Jesus. Because the father willed it. Was now offering salvation to all men. On the basis of their putting their faith in Jesus. And following him. And so he says you need to believe and be baptized in order to be saved. As I'm sure has not escaped your notice, this is a teaching of scripture that is quite controversial. And not just in our time, it's been controversial for a long time. It's certainly not the fact that we need to believe in Jesus. That's not what is controversial, at least amongst those who would consider themselves followers of Christ. So in all of so-called Christendom, if you will, believing in Jesus isn't a controversial thing. But the fact that Jesus says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, that Jesus would say one needs to be baptized into him, that that would be a part of this whole process of becoming a disciple of Jesus is, as I'm sure you know quite well, extremely controversial in our day. I'm, I will confess to you, it has always seemed strange to me that it would be so. I don't mean any disrespect by that, but it just has always seemed somewhat strange um, for a number of reasons. Um, somewhat secondarily, it's not a particularly difficult thing for for someone to do, and that's usually not a person's gripe with it. Um, this idea of, of baptism was something that, that John the Baptist, um, at the instruction of God, began to teach among the Jews prior to Jesus um, really coming onto the scene in full. It wasn't something that was was part of the Mosaic Law, but when John began his work for the Lord, he was calling upon those Jews to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And what that was, was an immersion in water. And that wasn't something that was particularly difficult for someone to do. It's just a physical act, but it was something that John was teaching and God was commanding in order for their sins to be forgiven, the baptism of repentance. And Jesus himself carries on with that teaching. And ultimately, as we see in in this passage or there in Mark, he commissioned his apostles to teach the need for baptism. But not a baptism as, as John had taught it, one that was looking ahead to the coming of Christ. It was instead a baptism that acknowledged that the king and the kingdom had already arrived. And Jesus is that king. Similar to what we've seen in the book of Acts, where you have those who know That they want to follow Jesus, but all they knew was the baptism of John. Eventually it became a baptism into Jesus' name. So being baptized in the name of Jesus, and Jesus says, You teach that those who have believed and have been baptized shall be saved. If people are not going to believe in Jesus, then of course they're going to be condemned. And yet for its simplicity, you and I live in a day and time where this idea of baptism is exceptionally controversial. Even though it is taught in in, in many different passages. So again I said all these references were going to be quite familiar. In Acts 2 and verse 38. On that day of Pentecost. On that first occasion when Peter and the other apostles are publicly proclaiming that Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Is the resurrected son of God. Here's what Peter told those Jews to do. He said repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Your version may say, into the name of Jesus Christ. So again, the idea of repentance, of turning from your past way of life and accepting that Jesus is the Christ. But also, part of all of this is the idea of being baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. So here's a passage where they were commanded to be baptized, acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God that they're to turn from their sins, be baptized into His name, as the passage says, for the forgiveness of their sins. And yet that is controversial. Exceptionally so. There are, are many religious groups who say, all you need to do in order to be saved is just accept Jesus as your Savior. Believe that He's the Son of God, and you need do nothing more. There are other groups that say, that you have even less of a part to play in this process, that God plays all the parts. And if you believe it's because God has, has, told, has made it so, and if you don't, it's because God has made it so. Um, it is not simply a matter of, well, baptism is really a whole lot to be getting along with. It's a very complicated sort of thing, and, and just don't see the need for that. It doesn't have anything really to do with that for most folks who would object to it. It has to do with this idea of God saving us by grace, through faith, and God being sovereign. And we've talked about some of those concepts in classes before. Um, how there are a lot of people who have the idea that if it is true that we have to do something, anything, such as get baptized in order to be saved, then that somehow diminishes the idea Of being saved by grace through faith. As Paul says in Ephesians 2 and verse 8. I believe what you see in Acts chapter 2. Is is not something that's in conflict with that idea. Of being saved by grace. Or being saved by grace through faith. It is in fact the grace of God. That Peter is offering. To the thousands of Jews standing before him. Who were sinners. Who had rejected The Christ as their long-awaited Messiah and had been at that time glad that he was crucified and gone. But now Peter says that God in his graciousness is offering to forgive their sins. Now they've got to repent, Peter says. They've got to turn from that past disobedience and they've got to start accepting that Jesus is in fact the Christ. And he says, let each of you be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And I must confess to you that even though there are plenty of arguments going into this subject. Some of those, I think the longest one there is about 40 minutes. But you can find a lot, lot, lot more um, videos addressing the subject. Articles addressing the subject. People who feel absolutely the opposite of everything that we're going to talk about this morning. I still believe this is in no way in conflict with the idea of being saved by the grace of God. But rather what it is is indicating is that God's plan and Jesus' plan was that people believe in him, turn from their sinful ways. And yes, as these verses, and more we'll look at in just a moment, be baptized into the name of Christ. In order to receive the forgiveness, that gracious forgiveness that God offers. I believe it's something that's taught in Acts 22 and verse 16. Um, This is, is Saul recounting his conversion. And retelling how Ananias had said to him, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. As I said, there's a lot of folks in our, in our time who would minimize baptism. A lot of folks who talk about calling on the name of Jesus to be saved, but yet never mention baptism like Ananias does to Saul. It's just a very controversial kind of teaching. Um, I don't think it should be. I think it's right there very plain. But again, the the issue for folks is that they believe there is a conflict between the idea of being baptized and then saying that we're saved by the grace of God, that God has, has done all of the work. Um, it isn't going to... Uh, Reduce down to nothing any of the arguments in in videos such as these or any of the the lengthy, um, impassioned and oft times scripture filled uh, defenses of this idea that that baptism is is, and must not be a part of, of the process. But this idea that there's a conflict between being baptized, doing that thing, and being saved by the grace of God alone. Let me ask you, do you really think when Saul of Tarsus heard, excuse me, Ananias' words and stopped delaying and and was baptized and washed away his sins, do you really think that somehow in all of this process Saul of Tarsus took all of that to mean that he had in any way contributed and earned the salvation that God was giving him? Do you believe it is reasonable to suggest that the thousands at Pentecost that cried out for mercy in Acts chapter 2, when they realized they had killed God's son, somehow viewed their baptism as as diminishing their actions, making up for it, giving them a little bit of a part to play in accomplishing their salvation? And that somehow that, that whittled on God's end of the stick. Well, they don't say, I believe reason would suggest that they understood as Paul understood. And Paul does talk about how much he is indebted to the mercy and grace of God for his sins that were washed away in baptism. Just because that was the means by which he was calling on the name of Jesus to please save him and please wash away his sins does not mean that he now gets a speck of credit for anything. That's what's being talked about here. That's what baptism is. But to somehow diminish baptism or just erase that from what the scriptures say one needs to do to be saved, I believe, is tampering with the plan of God. And that's the problem. Not that baptism is the big one, that baptism's the most important, that baptism, 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 you got to be, got to be, got to be. But if scripture says it's a part of the process, I believe we'd best leave it there. One more passage, just as we're doing this initial look this morning, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, the Apostle Peter simply says, baptism now saves you. You can't say it much more plainly than that. Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clean conscience, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, someone says baptism can't save us. It can't be necessary for us to be baptized, to be saved, because that would somehow mean that we don't need Jesus in fact, the, the young man that I'm studying with about this subject, he wasn't trying to insult me. He wasn't trying to, to lash out, but he could not help himself. When I began to speak with him about this, his immediate reaction was, but that's heresy. Just right out of the gate. And knowing that the days are not far removed, if they're removed at all from when I brashly said things out of you know my, my concern and my care for whatever the issue was at hand... I tried to take it in stride. Um, usually when you're having a friendly Bible study, you don't throw around the word heretic as, as easily and, and, and brashly as this young man did. Um, but that, that's his genuine, genuine belief. Not to say baptism has any part of this. Is to, to take away from God's sovereignty. It's to say that somehow, at least in that small portion, we don't need Jesus. That's the connection that he makes. I don't believe that's a necessary connection. I don't believe that's what Peter is indicating here at all. When you look at the entire sentence, I believe he makes it very clear that the only reason baptism can now save us is because we're baptized into Jesus who rose from the dead. It's through the resurrection of Jesus that you and I have our sins forgiven. But I do believe, he says, it's at the moment that we're baptized that Jesus saves us. That's when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's when we now have become his disciple. And as his disciple, our sins have been forgiven. So you have what I believe, again, not to be insulting, are are very plain statements of scripture, such as this one. Baptism now saves you. He says it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh. It's not some kind of physical dirt that we're trying to remove from our bodies like when we would bathe. Or I think he might be especially alluding to a practice familiar to his original audience um, that we'll talk more about in a moment. But these dispersed Jews were were very familiar with the the washing rituals of the Jewish law, where there was a a ceremonial kind of uncleanness on their flesh that they they washed to remove. Peter says that's not what this baptism is. It's something that's much more significant than that. It's an appeal to God for a clean conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's calling on the name of the Lord. It's saying to God, I'm submitting myself to you and your son in baptism and by your mercy, by your grace, through the resurrection of Jesus, your son. Father, please save me and forgive me of my sins. Now, as I showed you, plenty of folks that would disagree, but I believe that's what the Bible teaches. Baptism is necessary. Somebody might say, you know, you emphasize baptism too much, which I wouldn't want to do. I wouldn't want to overemphasize it beyond what the Bible says. But sometimes when folks de-emphasize something, it requires you to take some time every now and then to emphasize it in order to set things in balance. And that's the point of a lesson like this. Um, it would be equally wrong for, for someone to say, I, I've been saved because I simply believed in Jesus Well, were you baptized baptized into him? No. Well, then then you haven't done what what these passages are saying. So again, I I want us to appreciate what I believe the Bible teaches about the necessity of baptism. But having said all of that, I thought we'd answer another question, and that question is, why baptism? Why baptism? Don't mean by that, why did God command us to be baptized? Because I believe it's so that we can be saved, as we've been talking about. I mean, something different than that. Why did God come up with baptism as something that he would want his people to do in order to become disciples of Jesus? As something he would want us to do so that we might enter into a relationship with his son. As the Bible says in Romans 6 verse 3, be baptized into Christ. Why would it be baptism that he would come up with as a means for us to then enter into this saved state through his son? That's the question I'd like for us to discuss Um, before we conclude this morning, and I want to start out as we're thinking about this question with perhaps an initial response to this. And that is that baptism is something God came up with because it is an outward sign of our faith. You hear sometimes that it's an an outward sign of a, of an inward. Oh, now the phrase is escaping me. Tom, Brian, you guys remember An, an outward sign of an inward grace. Thank you. Um, It is, however, even though I don't believe that that's all baptism is, it is, in fact, an outward sign, right? When someone's baptized up here, we, I don't know if this thing can move, but customarily you move everything out of the way so that folks can watch what is taking place, and you see that person step down into those waters of baptism, you see them buried in baptism, you see them rise, and there's something very visual and symbolic, as we'll talk about here in just a moment, To that entire process. It is a very outward sign. We are very outward related beings. I think all of the passages that we've looked at. They all indicate that. It's an outward demonstration of a person's faith in Jesus as the Christ. In James 2 and verse 17. James teaches faith by itself. If it does not have works is dead. In that context. He's talking about the fact that a person who just says something. But doesn't demonstrate it. Really hasn't said much. Because it's only when your words are backed up with actions that would demonstrate them that your words have any viability to them. So that's what James also says, uh, or James, he says, even the demons believe in God, but they tremble in fear in God's judgment because they're not in a right relationship with him. But so believing in him, he says, there's a lot of folks that do that. Even the demons do that. So why might God come up with baptism? As something he wants us to do in order to initially be uttered into that right or ushered into that right relationship with him. I suggest it's an outward sign of our faith. It's something that we need to do, as Paul says in Romans 6 verse 3, that we might enter into Jesus. Sometimes we need something that is an outward visible indication that this is my starting point in my new life of service to God, my life of service to his son, Jesus Christ. And baptism is something that indicates that, that you can look back to as the point when we were baptized into Jesus. That's when I became a disciple. That's when my sins were washed away. That was the point when I turned my life over to Christ. You look throughout the Old Testament and and God filled his covenant with his people then with outward visceral things that they could see Tangible things that they could appreciate, remember, notice, and take to heart. And while a lot of that has been taken away in this new covenant system that we're under now, God has not taken away all of the visual stimuli from us. The idea that you just need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. I'm not saying you can't go through that experience and have it be an exceptionally emotional, memorable time. I'm sure for many it is exactly that. It is crystal clear in their memories and that is a day they will never forget. But God, in his wisdom, came up with something even more obvious than that. So being baptized into him, going through this action of allowing yourself to be immersed in water and then come up out of that water... That's this visible sign of your faith in Jesus, the one who saved you, the one whose resurrection now gives you the opportunity to have your sins forgiven. And it's how we enter into Christ. Again, Romans 6, verse 3, by being baptized into Christ, buried with him, Paul says. So I wouldn't use this as an argument that baptism is necessary. I'd use all those other passages that we were looking at in the first third of this lesson. But as we're talking about why baptism, what purpose could it serve, what benefit could it have, I think sometimes I I shy away from things like this uh, because I don't want the spotlight to be taken off of the verses that command it. I believe it is commanded. I, I think I'm talking to an audience in which nearly everyone, if not everyone, also believes it is commanded. So with that fact established, at least among most, if not all of us, I'd like to also talk about the the beauty of this subject, what God has designed for us. So baptism is certainly something that accomplishes that that outward, tangible moment, marking our faith in Jesus. I imagine just about everyone remembers that day quite clearly. Could there perhaps be other things that that baptism uh, is specifically designed to, to do for us? Perhaps other reasons why God would choose that as the particular outward sign that he would use as we enter into Jesus Christ. Well, I would suggest to you additionally that it is an outward sign that is rich with a history of biblical symbolism. And I want us to appreciate some of that. Uh, It is symbolic, certainly of, 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 of cleansing, of washing. You recall that passage in Acts 22 and verse 16 We cited a moment ago where Ananias says to Saul of Tarsus, Why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In this act of being immersed in water and then coming up out of the water, that's an act that's symbolic of of cleansing, of having those things washed away. That passage in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 that we talked about as well, where he says, Baptism, it's not the removal of the filth of the flesh, it's the cleansing of the conscience of the spirit. There's a spiritual filth and defilement that we have as as the sin in our life. And the symbolism is there as God in his wisdom commands us to be baptized and, so to speak, wash away our sins. And that's part of the the rich symbolism of all of this. It also harkens back, if you're looking there in 1 Peter 3, uh, you remember what he's originally talking about when he says baptism which corresponds to this, He's talking about the flood and the ark and Noah and his family being saved through water. Then it attaches back to that symbolism when God washed the world of its sins and saved those who were righteous through immersing the world in that water. It connects back to that act long, long ago. There's there's a tremendous tapestry of, of imagery that is attached to this particular act. How this is the point at which we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ where we're saved and forgiven of our sins and, this, and what, is, what lies in our past is washed away. Um, it is amazing what small children can do to their clothes, their toys, and just about anything that gets taken outside. Um, if we happen to make the mistake of letting them take one of their stuffed animals outside... You can guess what it looks like after the day is done, especially if they get into digging into one of the holes that they've made in the yard, despite being told not to. Well, I can take that animal and nine times out of ten, drop it into the washing machine and wash all of that away. And yes, over time, it's going to start to show somewhere and that's where the illustration breaks down. But in general, you can wash away the effects of all that time spent in the muck and the mire outside. And there's the same kind of imagery. We're quite familiar with that idea of washing something so that it can be renewed, so that it can be made clean, so that it can be useful once again. And I believe it's God's plan that baptism symbolized that for us. in as much as he refers to it so often as a washing and a cleansing. That's part of why he came up with it. It is impressive what that Reminds us of as we think of that moment throughout our lives. That's when I was cleansed. That's when the filth of my sins were washed away. And there's a tremendous comfort that comes from knowing. And having that tangible moment to remind you of the fact that my forgiveness of sins means I was washed pure in his sight. Because sometimes as you look back at the sins of your life. And maybe the sins you've committed up to this day. The sins of this week. What have you. You can get to just feeling. Dirtied. Feeling guilty. About all the wrong things that you've done throughout your life. Maybe even recently. Tainted. By the choices that you've made. And baptism gives a very physical being. A physical thing to look at. And remind you that you've been cleansed of all that. Through the blood of Jesus. Certainly not the water in the pool. But that's the symbolism of baptism. Scriptures do speak to it being symbolic of more than just that. We've referenced Romans 6 verses 3 through 4 already. But then also Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about baptism being symbolic of a burial. It's an interesting figure when Paul talks about this. In baptism, we're immersed in water. What's that have to do with a burial? Paul says, just as Jesus was the one who died and was buried and then was resurrected For us to be saved, just as Jesus was buried in the earth, we're immersed and buried, so to speak, in this water. You'll sometimes uh, hear Christians refer to baptism as a watery grave. That's exactly the imagery Paul is using here. Baptism is a burial in water. But more than that, it's also the idea of a resurrection. Because we're immersed in water and then we rise, as Romans 6 talks about, to walk in newness of life. It's both of those things. It's that burial as Jesus was buried and symbolizes our being raised as, as he was raised. <coughs> There's a young kid um, in Missouri that I heard about who uh, had said to his mom, I don't want to ever be baptized. And that kind of surprised her uh, because it was the last thing she expected him to say. And so she asked, why? Why is it that you don't want to be baptized? And when she got the explanation out of him, it was hysterical. There had been a baptism in the congregation recently, and they had curtains that would move back and forth. And the person who was manning the draperies, you know, to close them once the baptism was over so that folks could exit uh, with a little bit of dignity intact, because sometimes it's difficult to come up out of those those waters and the robes are clinging and you're trying to get out. Um, The person manning the drapes was quick on the trigger. So from the kid's point of view, he sees the preacher dump the guy into the water. He never sees him come back up. (laughs) So he said they mean a burial, don't they? He just drowned you. So he, he didn't want any of that. It's important to understand it's not just a burial, it is a resurrection, as Paul says in Romans 6 and, and here in Colossians. We're buried with Christ in baptism, united with him in his death. But by Christ, God's grace, we are risen to walk in a new life. That is also symbolic of the resurrection of Jesus and uh, the ultimate resurrection that is yet to come. So as I said, I wouldn't use these points to try to prove the necessity of baptism. I'd use all those passages from the first third of the lesson. But assuming I don't have to argue its case any further with an audience like we have this morning... I think it's worth spending some time just to appreciate how grand a symbol this is, how beautiful the thing this is that God has given us. I know for me, sometimes I can spend so much time arguing that this is what the scriptures say that I don't take the time to appreciate the beauty of what they say. Paul often would use this symbolism when he was talking about baptism. And since that is what God has done, obviously that was God's plan. It is this outward demonstration of our faith, and it's also this outward demonstration that God designed because it's so rich in in its its symbolic value. I will give you one other suggestion as as another answer to the question of why baptism? Why did God choose this act of baptism as something he wants us to do in order that we might be saved? And I I wonder if it doesn't have anything to do with the humility that is, is involved in this act. So here's what I mean by that. There's a whole lot of different things God could have come up with for us to show our faith. A whole lot of different things he might have wanted us to do in order to be saved. Um, We might think, if we were designing this whole thing, that something great, some kind of grand deed would be a bit more fitting. That's that's logical to a human way of thinking. If I'm going to offer you salvation and grant you the cleansing blood of my son and the mercy that comes with it, if he left heaven to tolerate everything that he went through and then died for you, then you're going to have to do your best to prove yourself worthy. But salvation is by the grace and mercy of God. And it cannot be argued that in baptism we're doing any kind of great thing, any impressive task, that in any kind of way makes us worthy of the gift we're receiving. Matter of fact, the baptism that the Bible talks about is, is not even the kind of, of um, ritual washing that the Jews commonly practiced in their days. Um, in historical records and as archaeologists have discovered, Jews built pools called mikvah. These were large baptistries that they would make from stone and they would contain water or even spring water where possible. Living water was a key part of things for them. Still is. Um, and then a Jew would, would walk down the steps of that mikveh and they would immerse themselves. They'd do that every day. Fastidious Jews would do it multiple times a day. And then it was this cleansing ritual. I'll show you some of these because I just find them interesting. That's, that's one very straightforward kind of, of mikveh. This is another one. You can see how you would walk down one side and come back up another. So, likely a, a public mikveh where multiple people could line up and pass through that area. Uh, you've got one here, built a little bit more rounded, a little bit more jacuzzi-shaped, kind of. Um, but you'd walk down into that pool, immerse yourself, and then come back on up. Um, and this is what they look like Some, Oh, no, one more for you. Sorry. One more. This is what they look like um, today, what they can look like today. This one, in fact, is located just a, a few miles from us. This one's in Bexley, at the uh, Columbus Community Mikvah. So this is something that they actively did. If you look up the website for the, the Columbus Community Mikvah, you can read how important this is to them. Um, something that they would do repeatedly, actively, uh, just, just again and again and again. Um, but in, in this particular process, as in baptisms today, or, or excuse me, when they would visit these mikvahs, there was no one that immersed them in water. They would wash themselves. They'd walk on down and they'd immerse themselves and then they'd come back up. It is noteworthy to me, knowing that, that it was just absolutely customary for the Jew to take himself in and take himself out. That when you look at baptism in the New Testament, uh, what John the Baptist initiated at the command of God, and then what Jesus and his apostles were doing and commanding, that baptism into Christ is, is, is differently a very, a very passive baptism. Uh, there's, there's someone who is the baptizer, there's someone who immerses that person in water, and then lifts them up out of the water. And the individual who is being baptized, who's receiving this cleansing, they're they're altogether passive in that. Uh, Now, there's no scripture that commands, you must be baptized by someone else. But every single baptism you ever see, that's how they happen. Which just kind of stands out to me. And it does, whether God intended it that way or not, I'm not sure I could prove that conclusively. It certainly does signify this whole concept that I am completely at the mercy of God himself. I'm entirely at his mercy. And here in baptism, there's someone who is now holding me and I'm at their mercy and they immerse me and they bring me back up. And it's just noteworthy to me that this concept is something that even in the action itself signifies the kind of humility uh, that God is seeking for and allowing that to be done to you. In Acts chapter 22, going to that passage again, this idea of being baptized and washing away your sins, you can't overappreciate the final phrase. Be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So in the act of baptism, whether the the constant um, display of one person baptizing another, as we see in the New Testament, is absolutely what God expected every single time someone was going to be baptized or not, You can't get past the fact that the humility you see in that is completely the humility God wants of someone who's going to come to Christ. Because you are at his mercy. You are obeying, but you're you're the passive person in all of this. You're calling on his name through what you're doing. You're appealing to him, begging him to please forgive you of your sins. Because you sit in a position in which you could do nothing to accomplish salvation on your own. No matter how many times you wanted to be immersed. You're completely at his mercy. In Matthew 3. When John commands the Jews of his day to be baptized. The text says that they were going out to him to be baptized. Confessing their sins. In Luke 3. Luke talks about how John was teaching a baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sins. The act of baptism. It's an action to be understood as, as one wherein a person is, is in complete Humility. Complete subjection. I am a sinner. I am at your mercy. And I want to come home. Please cleanse me. Please allow me. Please welcome me back. So I can't make myself whole and worthy. I can't do anything to make myself deserving in his presence. I am appealing to God to please forgive me. Please make me clean once more. And that's what baptism is. There's symbolism of that in it as well. And, and for my part and, and for the passages we've considered, I believe this is, this is all a part of why God chose baptism. And perhaps you could think of other things as well. Other points that it connects to in Scripture. Other pictures that it connects to as well. So I wanted to talk about this subject for, for a number of reasons. Um, some I've already mentioned to you. But another motivation is that I think sometimes as 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 a preacher, I can emphasize and emphasize the need to be baptized to be saved and maybe not talk enough about why God would use such an action as something that he would want us to do to be saved. It is an outward physical demonstration of our faith. It symbolizes being cleansed of the filth of sin. It symbolizes being buried with Jesus and raised with him to live a new life. Because that's exactly what Jesus does for us in that moment. He puts to death the old man of sin and allows us to walk in a new life. And it is absolutely a sign of the complete passivity and humility that is required of a penitent person who wishes to come to God. Mindful of the desperate need they have for him. To cleanse us. And so I wonder if there's someone here this morning who needs to be baptized. Maybe you've been putting it off. Maybe you know you need to be baptized, but you haven't been. Maybe you don't quite have the humility that God seeks. In which case you need to think about that. Or maybe it is you haven't realized that the Bible taught baptism and and, and perhaps now... You see some of those things more clearly and you want to maybe study more about that or you've studied enough. Looking at those passages, that's enough. If there's a need that you have, we would love to help you with that. Whether you come forward this morning as we sing an invitation song here in just a moment or whether you want to talk about this perhaps afterward this week, I hope. We'd love to study with you. Um, But again, for this moment, I do wonder if there's someone here this morning. Who knows they need to be baptized into Jesus Christ and is ready to do so. If you are, won't you please come while we stand and sing.